This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath here hosting this program for you. Uh, everyone's maybe a little cringe. This is cringeworthy, this, this subject that we're talking about right now. We've got lots of subjects coming up on this uh, second hour of the program. We're, we're a little bit later, we're going to be talking about um, have you ever checked your lovers, your partners, your spouse's phone um, to see who else is texting them or sexting them? But right now we're focusing on your member or your banana, shall we say. Uh, my guest is an author. He's a comedian. Uh, and he had a, a medical emergency happen to him. And, I, and I've just finished reading his book. Or I didn't quite finish. Not sure he did either. Uh, Ross Astorian is on the line. He's the author of... <laughs> He's the author of Broken Banana. I gather that was the um, English accent of your ex-girlfriend. That, no, very uh, good. Very good. <laughs> thank you. Ross, thank you so much for joining me. I saw you on Megan Kelly of today. <laughs> it was a great interview. Yeah, what, what a funny time to say doggy style on national TV. No kidding, huh? Good for you. I said doggy style on my <laughs> TEDx talk. It said 16 million views. They love it. Don't worry about it. Um <laughs> Uh, let me ask you, are you in New York City or Seattle? I'm in New York City right now, Okay, yeah. well, thanks for staying up so late. <laughs> thanks for keeping it up for me, Ross. Okay. Uh, it's the first time in a long time. <laughs> All right, Ross. So I loved your book. It was descriptive. It was instructive. It was a little bit of like Fifty Shades of Banana, quite frankly, especially in the beginning. I know. I, you know, I, I've learned that uh, it, it's basically if Fifty Shades of Grey was a comedy, that's basically Broken Banana. So it just depends on how you look at it. Exactly, exactly. So uh, it, it's a very interesting story, I have to say. It, it had many elements beyond the eggplant between your legs um, that that you found mm-hmm. during uh, a most intimate time uh, and moment. But, but uh, do walk me through the steps of what happened. Yeah. Um, well, it was it was a pretty normal night, uh, and the girl had come back in town that I had hooked up with seven years prior. I went to school in Florida, and she was in New York, and the beauty of living in New York is people come and visit. And uh, we went out, and the second night we had been out, she came back to my place, and, you know, we were in the heat of the moment, approaching the finish line, so 30 seconds or so in. And uh, <laughs> right as I came out, we were doing it doggy style and went to go back in, and missed by just a little bit, and that's when my penis popped. So you heard the pop, which is the telltale sign of a fractured penis or a broken <laughs> banana. <laughs> the, one, of, one, one of many signs, actually. Yes, yes, but that's um, like the hallmark sign, right? Initially. Yeah, exactly. exactly. When, you, you know, when you read about this in you know, your high school uh, educational books, that's the, that's the asterisk. When you hear a pop, Call the doctor. <laughs> exactly. So you heard a pop. That you killed the moment. <laughs> Am I cor- yeah. safe in yeah, assuming we, you killed yeah, the moment? Yeah, I, I was. I was not feeling great, and um, but I knew. I knew immediately, and I think that that's one of those things where you know we, I think we've all we've all had encounters or instances that like we we had a scare, and in the back of our mind we're like, could I have just done something really bad? Like. Did I just avoid a car accident right there? And um, and in that moment, man, I knew I knew my worst fears had come uh, had come to light. What I didn't know was just how bad it really was. Right, yeah, and and it is a medical emergency. And so 
you, did you start to feel uh, dizzy? Did you did you look down at your banana? Yeah, I, I did. I was all the things. <laughs> yes. In fact, I, I uh, you know, I have, you know, I talk about this, like the, the picture that I took just because, you know, whatever, I'm a guy and I'm in media. So, of course, we take a picture. And the, and the first picture, you know, of it kind of right after the moment looked like, you know, I had my, my penis had been clubbed on the head, you know, and his oh. neck was kind of cocked to the side. You know, and actually at that moment, it was, it was kind of impressive. I was like, oh, it's too bad. It's not like this all the time. Uh, <laughs> and by the time I had gone into surgery, and I even, by the time I had gotten to the hospital, it had become all colors of the rainbow, and it was not pretty. And by the t- right before I went to surgery, it it didn't even look like it. it, it you couldn't even tell between the, pe- the penis and the balls. Like, it was just a weird. Did it look like an egg? You said, in the, you said in the book it looked like an eggplant. Oh, yeah. So, it sure did. And, and you know, look, it's, it's a balloon, right? Like, and our skin is super elastic. So, you know, we don't know what our bodies do in these times of trauma. And, you know, like, I mean, obviously, if you've been in a car accident and things like that, you know, we've seen some stuff. But you don't really ever see stuff like this. So it was, well, I was almost as much in awe. And the same when the medics showed up. I mean, you, you know this. It's like the two most, you know, machismo guys show up. And you know it's bad when the guys who it's their job every day to look at medical trauma, look at you and just go, Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) There was no hiding it. No. And when you have call nine one one and and tell them what happened, did they actually believe you? You know, I, I think they must have detected the, the, the absolute sincerity of my voice at that moment, because I remember even thinking, they're going to 100% think this is a prank phone call. But there was no, like, I was about as dead serious as I I mean, the same when I looked at the girl. She looked at me and she was, like, you know, still on all fours, like, what's going on? And I said, <laughs> I think I broke my penis. And she was like, I don't Are mean you to serious? laugh. I, the, the words out of my mouth is, I have never been more serious in my life. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Did you apologize? Any good Canadian would have apologized. But anyway. Um- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for killing the moment here. Yeah, so exactly. the, there's a, there's a, some subplots here. Uh, the woman that you were with, you had hooked up with her. She was a friend that you'd hooked up with from university in the past or college in the past. But you, there was also somebody else that was in your life at the time. And you felt obliged or compelled to tell her what happened after when you were recovering. You also had to tell your mother. Yeah, That's another well, subplot. But anyway, well, <laughs> the whole the, the, yeah, well, life, life is subplots, right? And I mean, look, you know, the the whole thing is, you know, look, any story ever is what's it about? It's about love, right? It's about you know whether it's of a person or a thing or a place um, or ourselves, and and you know, this is just a super overly honest stream of consciousness kind of um, view of being in your late twenties and being in serial dating scenarios and. Um, you know, this girl that I had been on and off with, I mean, on and off with, I mean, we were dating for a couple months, but, you know, in New York, and, and I'm sure this is true in any metropolis or even city, you know, before you say, hey, am I going to introduce you as my girlfriend? Like, you you kind of have to say, okay, are we doing this now? And, um, you know, after a couple months, I had basically said to this girl, she said, hey, what do you want? And I said, I want you to be my girlfriend. And, you know, she's an entrepreneur. And I just wasn't ready for it. And, you know, I said, okay. And a week later, this girl sends me a Facebook message, and I'm a dude, so I'm like, yeah, sure, I'd love to get laid. And while, <laughs> you know, we can 
in, in it's so unusual life, for a dude. Do, <laughs> yeah, look, you know, we can do these deviant things without telling anyone. Right. And I can keep, you know, this gray area going with the girl that I actually like. And does that make me a good person? I don't know. Depends who you ask. Does it make me a bad person? Also don't know that. Um, but, you know, I wasn't able to hide this. So, right. it, you know, and I still really did like this girl. Again, judge as you will. And so instead of like, I mean, obviously I couldn't play it off. It was kind of like this very weird situation where I had to come to terms with, you know, my behavior and men as a collective and women too, you know, we, we sneak around or even if things aren't technically wrong or bad or illegal in the court of law, you know, did I cheat? No, of course we weren't officially, but in the world of life, you know, the court of life, yeah, like, it's, what do you do there? You know, I mean, what do you do if you're with someone for 15 years and they cheat on you? Like, do you say, well, see you later? Because we've had friends that go through that and then they stay together. And you're like, ah, you know, how could you? But until you're in the shoe, until you're in their shoes, I, until it's you who is going through the thing, you don't know how you react. Exactly. So it's, it's a lot of what I went through with this girl and coming to terms with, you know, my sexual habits and my dating habits and, my feelings and, you know, I mean, you, you add that into New York city and, um, you know, as well, I'd like to say it's unique here. I actually don't think it is. I think that, you know, we're in a time now, you know, where, where people are dating serially and, and people are a lot more free. Um, and also in a time where guys have to own up more to our sexuality and expectations and just be open with the way we are and instead of trying to hide it. Absolutely. I think there's a lot more opportunity out there today, uh, whether you're in a relationship or not. But, you know, I don't think it makes you a good person, your, your story, or a bad person. I think it makes you a real person. You are a person, as you said yeah. in the in the um, out, beginning of the book, you said you're a writer and you know, just like you, I had sex, just like you. I mean, we have sex. That's a reality. That, you know, that's, that's yeah. the truth, right? And so you just had an unfortunate experience while you were having sex. And, you know, it's, it's going to make us all think <laughs> twice the next time we have sex. Yeah. Um, but how, how did your, I, I think they all took it really well from your mother. I think it, it bonded you and your brother. <laughs> Um, yeah. who you weren't I mean, that close look, with. This is the stuff that brings us together, right? It like, is. You know, and, and, and whether it's one thing or the other, when, when you go through something in life, when you go through injury, when you are faced with your own mortality, it, you can't not grow as a person, and you can't not you know, see who's, who's going to react and who's going to be there. You know, these things are, this, is how our, this is how our lives and our relationship are shaped, is through the hardships you know, the, up the peaks and the valleys. It's not when you're cruising at seven, you know, it's, it's the tens and the twos. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and is your, so you, have you learned a little, <laughs> I don't even like to say that. Um, are you still with, uh, <laughs> what have you learned through this? Did you, did you rely on prayer? You grew up religious. Did prayer help you at all? <laughs> I know it helped you in other aspects of life. Um, but did yeah. you, um, are you still friends with, uh, the woman who you had the you experienced this with do you are you bonded forever yeah yeah you know i look i think that i'm still friendly with everyone you know the, the, the people come in and out of our lives and and i think that you know i and along with a lot of other people have been through like these crazy experiences with people that we don't talk to anymore right you know it's something we wouldn't talk to them but when you don't have a touch point whether it's work or location you know it's you know like there's a lot of people to to keep in touch with as is and and we're able to you know because it's so it's everything so close um, exactly 
But, I mean, you know, am I investing? You know, no. But at that time, you know, she was a champ. You know, if she was a complete stranger, you know, God knows what would have happened, you know. But but when you're going through something, was she a bit of a stranger to me? Yeah, sure. But to have her there, you know, even if it was until 2 or 3 in the morning and then she left, it was nice to not feel completely in my own head. Right. Um, And when someone else, you know, if you're going through trauma and someone else, is in the room with you and they're being hysterical, then you almost end up taking on the other role of like calming them down. Yeah. So that you're not hysterical. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Uh, so, well, you know, it's always nice to have another body around, even yes. if for a little bit when you're going through something to keep you sane. Absolutely. And we're running out of time, but I, I could talk to you uh, on and on about this. I love the book. <laughs> uh, the book is available on Amazon, Broken Banana. You've done a bang up job on that book, I have to say. And um, thank you, thank you. yeah, and, and, and thank you so much for joining me and telling us about this medical emergency, Broken Banana by <laughs> Ross Astorian. I, it's a, I highly recommend this instructive and descriptive read. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. This week, I put a little note on Facebook. Uh, snooping, is it okay to check your spouse's phone or email? Or is this just plain wrong? Would love to hear your thoughts, experiences for an upcoming Sunday Night Health Show segment. And uh, if you have anything to say about this, the number to call one 399 9898 Do you snoop on your partner's, husband's, lover's, spouse's phone? Has it happened to you? Is it ever okay to check your partner's phone? On Facebook, people's responses were things like, don't do it. Nope, not your spouse or your kids. Respect goes both ways. The caveat for kids is when there's serious personal safety. Uh, Somebody else wrote, uh, Wolf wrote, no secrets here. Margaret said it is not okay. Barbara said, I think if you're checking their phone, the trust and respect is already out the window. The question shouldn't be, should you check or not? The question should be what to do with it. What to do uh, if we need to do about the broken? What do we need to do about the broken relationship? Amy said no. Or the next question would be, why does my wife act like my mother? And she also said, the pro cheaters have a burn phone. I'll tell you what a burn phone is a little bit later. Um, and somebody else said, uh, James said, Cindy and I have full access to each other's phones, but know each other well enough and share openly enough that there is nothing to check on. I have Liz on the line, and apparently Liz feels a little bit differently. Hello, Liz. Hello. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Oh, Very good, much. good. Yeah. So um, have you had this breach of trust occur in your relationship? I, I have had it occur a number of times um, with um, a partner who was checking for information and, um, you know, unfortunately saw things that he thought were damaging but were quite out of context because he saw text but didn't know about intermittent conversations with the person that he was concerned about. And, uh, and it's caused a lot of problems. And, and he's, he's since uh, done it many times, even though he's promised not to, and has then also gone into my computer and my computer files. Now, does he have anything to worry about? No, he has nothing to worry about so- at all. And uh, we've had many conversations about it. And my frustration has been, if you're feeling that insecure, could you come talk to me as opposed to, go through my thing. And so you have never cheated on him? 
I've never cheated on him. I've never cheated on any partner ever in my life. No. Ooh, you get full marks there. No. Uh, <laughs> good for no. you. Oh, that makes yeah. you better than the rest of us. I'm kidding. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay, so um, how does this make you feel that somebody invades your privacy? Well, you know, it's. Um, I find it really um, disconcerting. And I find it really, it's now created a trust issue for me. Uh, you know, can I, I, do I have to change passwords? Do I have to worry about conversations that are um, private and, uh, and personal? And they're conversations that cause him distress because they're with um, an ex-partner of mine. And, uh, and So it's not even somebody him. new. You dumped the old one. <laughs> that yeah, one's no, gone. It's, it's <laughs> the ex, the father of my children. Ah. But, um, you know, I, I feel those conversations need to be private um, out of respect for also my my ex, but also I just feel like they're not worth bringing up in my current relationship. And, uh, and I had given them lots of reason to trust me, but for some reason, uh, communication with my ex puts him into distress. And rather than be able to talk to me about it, he chooses this avenue, which has put a, a serious, serious amount of tension now, because like I say, there's context that's not there on a text or in an email or, or something. And, uh, you know, and it's really easy to run away with the lack of the truth. People create a bigger story and that can be cause a lot more. They certainly do. And it sounds like he may have an issue, not you. Um, you know, I mean, I've only heard your side, so it's always good to hear both sides of the story. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk a little bit about this. Some people actually check their partners, their lovers, their spouse's phone or email, and they do find something. They do find that somebody is texting or sexting with somebody else. And so that can be heartbreaking as well. And so, you know, cheating is wrong, but so is invading privacy and betraying trust. I don't know what's right. Maybe it's happened to you. Uh, you know, there's uh, trust issues all around here. They, the, the, the door swings both ways. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program. We are talking about having your privacy invaded by the person you might be the closest to or maybe not. Maybe you're getting a little close with somebody else. Is it ever okay to check your partner's, spouse's, lover's iPhone? We've had lots of responses on Facebook and Liz is on the line and she has been on the receiving end of having her uh, phone and computer invaded, shall we say, her privacy invaded by her partner. Thanks for staying on the line, Liz. Mm-hmm. Happy to. So what do you think if, um, if a person is cheating? Um, and do you think that if there's suspicion that somebody is cheating, that in that situation it's okay to check somebody's phone, having been on the receiving end of a breach of privacy? Well, you know, I think there's a couple of things before you need to start checking phones and whatnot. I think, you know, if in your gut you feel like there's something not right, that there's something not trustworthy, if you in your relationship can't talk about that in a, in a calm and, you know, honest way, then, you know, I think that's hard. Somebody, I heard somebody say, what, you want me to keep looking into the eyes of a liar when I know for a fact that, this, that my husband's lying to me? If you need the validation of the phone to validate your story, to validate your argument, just be prepared for, you know, the truth and, and the really hard truth and be prepared for it even without snooping. And I think that's the hard thing is people 
don't question what's causing the unease or the or the uh, the lack distrust. Of confidence. Yeah. yeah, and you know, cheating is wrong, but privacy and um, betraying privacy. Uh, or invading privacy and breach of privacy is wrong as well. And, and two wrongs don't necessarily make it right. If you have something to say about this, give us a call, one 399 So let's start when it's not okay to snoop through your significant other's cell phone. So you're drunk. Okay, no, never a good idea. <laughs> you're in public not a good idea either. You are trapped for an extended period of time in an inescapable situation. You are prone to react versus respond, or you may have disruptive or violent reactions, or if any of these, all of these occur at the same time. There was a story of an Iranian woman who was aboard a Qatar Airways flight to Bali, um, and she actually decided to, she must have suspected this and she checked her husband's phone en route. She basically, he fell asleep and I don't know, he had his thumb on the scanner of his phone and it was unlocked and he found that she was having an affair. And so they actually had to have a uh, an emergency landing as a result of this because this woman lost it as a lot of women will lose it. And you know what? Sometimes it can be taken out of context and it's actually what you read isn't necessarily that somebody is having a text emergency, for example. Um, so, but this, on, on this situation, the plane did land and uh, the the husband and the wife and they had a child with them were offloaded. You know, I see in my clinical practice, there's a lot of this going on. Um, and, and a lot of men come in and tell me that they have been caught having an affair. And the way that they were caught is because their spouse actually checked their phone. And I was talking to Jill Bennett this morning and she said, you know, how is it that they can check somebody's phone? And, and I have this question for you, Liz. How is it that your partner has been able to check your phone? Um, you know, has he got your passwords? What What's with well, that? I guess, you know, I guess um, I it, he's gone in when I've recently been on it so it hasn't locked in time or uh, he observed me doing my passwords. Um, I've had a fairly simple password on my computer for a long time but um, that I just don't consider changing because I feel like you know it needs requires a password and he should ask before he goes in but I guess he knew it and he definitely knew how to dive into files that were locked, and so it took quite a bit of work. And have you changed um, your password to something have, like, you know, the ones yeah. that are recommended? <laughs> the ones <laughs> we never choose, the ones yeah, that are recommended. You know, I've changed my, my passwords, but more what I resent is the feeling that I can't leave my phone or my computer, you know, if I go out or if I go shopping or go somewhere, I, I, I've got to hide them. or. And it, even if I have nothing to hide, I just, it's my privacy and I would rather have a conversation. And, you know, he's questioning why I have to have private conversations with uh, my ex-husband. And I just feel like, well, there, there's a lot of emotion already in that story and it doesn't necessarily do any good for my current relationship. So I, I think it, it's probably causing some additional um, strife in your relationship. And so yeah, we, when you don't have when you don't have trust in a relationship, it can make things far more problematic. But also, if you've had that behavior before, if you are checking your spouse's phone and, and you have found that they have reached out to somebody else or they're texting with somebody else or sexting with somebody or trying to meet somebody or whatever, you know, you, you lose the trust. I get that. But the time not to do this is when you've had a couple of drinks in or you're a few thousand feet up. Uh, but uh, Liz, I really appreciate your contribution to this. Thank you so much. For, for sharing your story. We're going to move on to 
Thanks a lot. Going to move on to yet another subject, um, Pornhub. Pornhub has, have porn, have you heard of that before? <laughs> anyway, they've released their 2017 year-end search report. And for a country as little as ours, we've done darn well. Canada is about fourth or fifth. The U.S., of course, is number one. Then the U.K., India, Japan. We're up against some heavy hitters. So the, U- the United States, the U.K., India, Japan, and then Canada. So we're number five. And then France followed after that. We only have 36 million people here compared to um, India or the U.S., where they have millions and millions more than we have. Uh, but we're, our porn habits are pretty darn good. Um, we paused on porn during certain cultural events and also porn hub searches dropped, um, dropped during things like Game of Thrones, the Walking Dead finale, the Super Bowl, and the lame solar eclipse. Was it lame, actually? But anyway, nonetheless, you decided not to look at porn. So Pornhub which is free uh, around the world, um, is, has had 28.5 billion annual visits, 81 million daily average visits, 25 billion searches performed, 50,000 searches per minute, 800 searches per second, 4 million videos uploaded in 2017. We've had I don't know, uh, Andrew, do you know what a petabyte is? We've had 3,732 petabyte? petabytes. I think it's big. Oh, 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 like a petabyte, petabyte. of data. Yeah, that's oh, a thousand terabytes. A, oh, it's a thousand terabytes. Who that's knew a thousand terabytes. Ter- <laughs> 1,024. <laughs> okay. Wow. You are a scientific or mathematic. It's a lot anyway, of porn. It's a lot of porn, isn't it? But I, I, I really don't know because I didn't even know a tetrabyte from a petabyte. So now I do. Um, it, but it's enough data to fill the memory of every iPhone currently in use around the globe. Doesn't shock me. That's amazing. (laughs) It doesn't surprise me. No, not in the slightest. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this is, these these stats are mind-blowing, mind-blowing. And everyone is in search of something. The numbers are showing that people are more interested than ever before in porn for women. What do you think of that? Good. (laughs) What? Uh, why does it? Why, this is like the top that's a trending search. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. That's a great thing. It's because, a good thing. Yeah. Why? Why not? Just why have it just be limited to you know roughly half of the human population? Doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, porn is for women too. It's just yeah. a different ki- type of porn that yeah. women enjoy. This is an, a fourteen hundred percent increase. Oof. That is huge year over year. Um, but you know what? Glad to spread the word. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm going to be telling people after this, like, hey, you know, there's, a lot, of, there's to, a lot more of it. Absolutely. And you know what? I think in 2017 and, and more recently, uh, women have come forward uh, to talk about sexuality uh, and to express their sexual desires, understand that orgasm is for them, too. I think the Me Too movement has had some effect on that. Um, and, you know, women are feeling more, and I don't like this word whatsoever, but they're feeling more empowered, um, maybe more visible is a better word. Um, and, you know, finding a voice for a, women, for a woman is critical. And, you know, we have to find our voice so often, and we have to find um, 
it in the area of porn as well. So porn for women is number one. Search. Ricky and Morty is number two. Fidget Spinner. I got one for Christmas. Oh, dear. Is number three. 1080p is number four. ASMR. Hentai and Cheerleader is number seven. Um, you know, so anyway, it's it's interesting. Um that we're actually being a little bit more open about porn and it's I, I have a lot of guys present to my clinical practice they're they're just looking at porn a little bit and uh, they're thinking that they have a um, they're thinking they have an addiction I don't think so I'm Maureen McGrath you are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. We are in the final strokes of the program. I want to tell you about a medical condition that affects many men and many women. It is called stress urinary incontinence. It is leakage of urine with increased abdominal pressure, such as coughing, sneezing, running or jumping on the trampoline or even during sexual stimulation. You can leak small amounts of urine. So I'm really excited. There are lots of different treatments for stress urinary incontinence. You can have a pessary if you want. Um, You can, you know, maybe a little localized estrogen therapy might help some women. It's purely anecdotal. There's no empirical evidence for that. Um, There's also cutting out on bladder air tents. There's trans obturator tapes, which is a, a procedure that is done by a urogynecologist typically or an OBGYN or an obstetrician gynecologist. But now there's also something called the Kegel Throne, which I absolutely love. It delivers 11,800 Kegel exercises in less than 30 minutes. And so if you are wondering if you're doing Kegel exercises properly, you don't have to worry anymore. This is uh, done twice a week for three weeks. And so I'm going to have Andrew do the math on that because I can't do it, daughter and accountant. Um, but they, you know, tens of thousands of Kegel exercises. And you know what? It, wonder no more if you're doing them properly. The Kegel Throne does them for you. So if you have any questions for me, if you want to try this fabulous new uh, treatment, email me and I'll let you know where to go. Uh, email me at nursetalk at hotmail.com. You can also give me a call, even in the final strokes of the program, one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. I did want to read a couple of emails um, for you. Um, this one from... Madeline, dear Maureen, my husband of 20 years was sexually abused as a child. I've lived since almost the beginning of our marriage in a sexless marriage. He is everything I've ever wanted and more from a life partner except for the lack of sex. I find myself now in so much temptation of leaving the marriage just so I can fulfill my sexual desire. The lack of sex makes me irritable. I don't even like myself on those days. I feel so sad for feeling this way. I am contemplating to leave my two miracle children without the security of a loving parental guidance. What is your advice? She wrote, even if you don't answer, it felt good for me to write my feelings to somebody. Thank you for doing the TED Talk. You know, I I just want to say I answer everybody, unless you're rude, crude, or otherwise. undesirable. Um, you know, I, so feel free to email me nurse talk at hotmail.com. And you know, it is therapeutic just to get those words out. So, 
you know, this is a very challenging situation, and I really appreciated her honest account of it. Uh, she must be confused and in tremendous emotional pain. It's important that she and her husband seek counseling for this. You know, men have even more shame around sexual abuse than women do. And, you know, if he's ever had any type of treatment, what type of treatment was it, is what I asked her. Sexuality is critical to a healthy, happy relationship and life. And it is the tie that binds a couple. But many people who have experienced the crime, the shame, the horror of childhood sexual abuse cannot enjoy sex, have a lot of difficulty with that. Processing of feelings is so important. Apparently, he had tried many times throughout the years to do counseling with no real success. He had done counseling on on his own, apparently, uh, um, which she wrote back to me, and, and they did it together. But what had made the situation much harder was that the the family friend... Uh, The person who sexually abused, assaulted uh, this man as a child was a friend of um, the family. And he's he works with children still today. And so this husband still has to deal with the fact that this man is still in business working with children. He also tried to tell his mother and stepfather about the abuser, but they didn't believe him. And and so this is what's so hard because he has so much guilt that he is contributing to abuse of other victims. And she also said that she thought with her love she could heal his wounds, but that has never happened. And you know what? I'm just going to say to anybody who has had been on the receiving end of, rep- of a report of sexual abuse of a child, believe them, because it is so much harder when the abuse is not validated. It perpetuates the guilt and the shame. And it's not to blame his mother. It just is. Or his stepfather. It just is. You need to listen to your children when they say this. I know it's hard. You may lose the love of your life or whom you think is the the love of your life, but you will save a life, an emotional life. And it, it was must have been too hard for them to look at this for some particular reason. So, but it's it's so important that a person get the the help that they need um, for this childhood trauma and they continue to get help because often it takes a lifetime to heal from the ravages of sexual abuse. I have another email for you as well. I just listened to your TED Talk, Maureen, and while interesting, it almost only addressed women who do not want to have sex with their husbands. I am not married, but have lived with the same man for 12 years. From the beginning, I've always initiated sex. If I didn't, we only had it once a week or or less. After having our son six years ago, we have had sex only once a year, and only because I practically begged him for it. Is there a solution to this, or should I just end the relationship if I ever want to have sex again? I am 50 years old, and he is 45. He does not have erectile dysfunction, as far as I know, even though he does... Okay, this was the best line ever. (laughs) Even though he does have the smallest penis I've ever seen in my life or been intimate with, but still serves its purpose when I can get him to have sex with me. So see, guys, don't worry if it's too small. You were absolutely spot on about a sexist relationship causing loneliness because even though he lives with me, I feel absolutely lonely and undesirable. My kids are my joy, but as you know, not the same thing. I know you probably won't answer my questions through this, but just wanted to put it out there. Of course, I answer the questions. I answer all of your emails, so feel free to email me. 
um, you know what? It's critical that this woman actually get the uh, understand the reason for his low sexual desire. It can be depression, substance use and abuse, an extramarital affair. Um, it can be uh testosterone levels. It can be erectile dysfunction. It can be excessive porn. It can be any one of a number of reasons. It can be Peyronie's disease, which is scar tissue in the penis. And so there's a number of reasons you can't treat something if you don't know what it is. So it's critical to have that conversation, understand the importance of sex in a marriage and frequent sex, not infrequent sex. It's got to be a few times a week that you've got to connect with your partner in order for you to have a great relationship. I did promise the dangers of distracted parenting, and we talked a little bit about porn earlier, and that can lead to distracted parenting. We live in a uniquely media-saturated time, and most people have their phones with them at all times, and there can be demands of work, demands of a partner. Um, It can be very hard to unplug, and this rise of media use amongst parents causes them to be distracted and disengaged with your children, and this is the, there's a new term that has been coined, and that is distracted parenting. It's parental overuse of overuse of handheld technology, particularly cell phones and tablets in the presence of your children. There are obvious risks of distracted parenting. When their eyes are on the phones, they're not on your children. And studies have shown a correlation between the incidences of playground injury and parents' technology-related inattention. So pay more attention to your phones, I mean, to your children. <laughs> no, I was actually thinking how people check their iPhones during sex. <laughs> That's what came into my ADHD head. Uh, pay more attention to your children, less attention to your phones. We are in the final stroke of the program here. Andrew, thank you so much for a bang-up job on the boards, of course. And you know what? You can go to my website, backtothebedroom.ca. You can email me anytime, and I promise you, I will respond. You can actually call me. I actually have a public number on there, and many of you you do, but it's probably easiest if you if you email me nursetalk at hotmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at back the number two the bedroom. Remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. Happy Canada Day, Canada. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at CKNW.com, the Radio Player Canada app. Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.